Hey, good morning. morning. How we doing, guys? Good, good. My name's David, if we haven't met, and uh, it's just good to be with you. I always love coming down here to Byron Center, and uh, I'm just really excited about what we're going to talk about today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead, grab it, open it up. We're going to be in Matthew 2. Uh, If you're not familiar with the Bible, if you don't have one, no problem. Pull out your phone, just like Blake was talking about. Uh, Matthew's about halfway, a little bit farther than halfway through the Bible, right at the start of the New Testament. So we're going to be in Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. Excuse me. But before I get in there, uh, I want to show you just a couple pictures because uh, I'm an NFL fan and I love watching football. One of the best parts, you know, Sunday morning is awesome. Sunday afternoon is still awesome. So I love that about fall and about winter. But uh, here's some of my favorite, uh, at least pictures that I could capture online. So like this is number one. You got to love fans, right? Okay, we get it. Tom Brady, he's good. Um, but let's keep moving. So fans love this. We love the Saints. Keep going. I don't know what is going on, Mr. Blue, but okay, this, it's like, really, what, what's happening that says this represents my team well? Uh, the next one, the best team, I think, in the NFL. I think to ever have been in the NFL is the Chicago Bears. Keep your boost to yourself. We'll pray for you. And then the dumbest team in the NFL. Amen? It's like, whose idea was this? Like, let's put a block of cheese on our head and call us the Packers. You know, I, uh, half my family is from Wisconsin. And I said, what does Packers even mean? Like, you guys just pack cheese? That was it. I had no, I was like, I was trying to make a diss, and the diss was reality. You ever done that before? Like, you're, oh, sorry. So Packers, right? Teams. Hey, here's my question. Just as we look through, whether it's NFL, whether it's like people who are raving fans of movies or restaurants or food, um, I think the same can be said about a lot of stuff. Our hearts are naturally drawn to things that are beautiful. There's something beautiful about men just smashing each other on Sunday. Is that not true? There's something beautiful, joyful, pleasing. Our hearts are naturally just drawn to things that we like or things that cause joy. Uh, And oftentimes it's like almost this posture that we also feel the same thing in worship. That is there, the question I kind of just want to start off by asking today is things that we love, things that are pleasing to us, things that give us joy and energy and pleasure. um, Is it true that also that may be somewhat as a part of like a Sunday morning church service? Uh, The reason I ask is we're in a series called Wonder and Wonder is all about worship. And so today we're just going to spend a little bit of time of talking about what is worship and where does worship come from and why do we worship and what does worship look like. It's going to be a lot all packed into one sermon today, but I just, I want you to have that as a framework as we're entering into the text of things that we love, things that cause joy, things that that bring pleasure. Our hearts are naturally drawn to things like this. The question I want to explore is why. So go ahead, Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to read through just a couple verses together. But Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 goes like this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came from or came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to, say it with me, worship him. We've come to worship him. The reason this is important right at the top is Matthew is our author, and he sets up the fact that this is a real story. This really happened. It was in the time of King Herod. It wasn't just some fake leader or fake ruler, and we're not just telling some fable. This was in the time of King Herod, who is historically, this is like a historically sound time period. 
in the time of King Herod, there were magi that came from the east. Still, scholars kind of debate and talk, where did they actually come from? We, we don't know. What it says is, they came from the east. And what they had seen was something unbelievable. They had seen a star. So they knew the stars. They watched the stars. There's a chance even that they came from this place called Babylon. And Babylon was kind of like a hub for thought and for education and theories and stuff like that. And so what they thought was, well, these were very educated men who, as they looked at the sky and read the stars and, and they could see changes and notice differences, that something caught their attention. That something that wasn't there before was just in your face. Here it is right now. And so they went to Jewish scriptures and went, did the Jews say anything that this might happen? Did, did this precurse anything? Or just talking about, hey, here's what's coming. Here's what this might mean. So they looked and they read through part of the Old Testament. And in Micah, a book of the Bible, it talked about uh, out, of a, uh, out of Bethlehem, a star, <clears throat> etc. I'm paraphrasing in a second. Um, but it talked about in Bethlehem, a savior would be born. And it referenced a star. And so you see this group of guys, well-educated, who say that is so significant and so important. We're going to leave everything that we have, everything that's comfortable, because we need to go find what that star alludes to, a Messiah. We want to go see this Messiah for ourselves. And we want to go worship him. And so they, they follow the star and it leads them on a long journey. I think oftentimes, uh, just in today's world or today's, um, what we're used to in our culture, it's like you think, oh, they just took an Uber, right? And they just hit the app and a camel showed up and they jumped on and they walked over. And it's like, it doesn't, it took days and weeks and months and potentially years to travel from where they were all the way. I mean, just imagine you're following this star What's the emotion that they're feeling? They're not dummies. Like these guys are smart, they're well-educated, and they're filled with this excitement and anticipation and energy because it's like this, this may be the most significant thing that we've ever witnessed in human history. That in what world does a Messiah and stars have a relationship? as in creation says, pay attention. So just imagine from their point of view, what's going on, the anticipation, the journey, as they're walking, as they're riding, as they're getting near, they come to Jerusalem, they go to King Herod and they say, where is he? It's just an awesome story. Matthew 2, verse three, it says this. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Um, a very great understatement is he was disturbed. If you know much about King Herod, uh, King Herod was known for his paranoia. Paranoid people don't make great decisions. Is that a fair statement? You could write that one down. Paranoid people don't make good decisions. Herod was very paranoid uh, to the point that he killed two of his own kids and his wife. So would it make sense that Jerusalem would be very alarmed when Herod is disturbed? Right? They go, great, our king with all the power, all the wealth, all the authority is upset. We should be afraid. So that's what it says. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
this is really important and really significant because Herod is the leader of this region. He is in charge, he is king, he has ultimate authority. And so when the Magi showed up, they're not just seeking some sort of little, like, yeah, this is not significant, we're just looking for whoever. When they show up, they're saying, we're looking for the next king. So you take a paranoid king who will kill anybody, change anything, do anything to preserve his control. This scares him. And what's interesting is the Magi don't yet realize that. So he says, hey, if you find him, let me know where so that I too may worship him. Right? Do you believe that? I don't. I love this. Think about the tension. Think about this story. Herod calls all the people, all the chief priests, all the leaders, all the religious leaders, and says, what's going on? Where's this Messiah? And they say, here's where he is. And he says, as soon as you find him, tell me. Jesus' life is in jeopardy. I just want you to hear that. Jesus has done nothing, has changed nothing, has said nothing. He's simply just been born. And his life is in jeopardy because of this man. There's a lot going on. So what's going on in the hearts of of the Magi. Let's keep reading. Matthew 2, verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were, say it. Why? Like, can we just hit pause for one second and go, Magi from the east, well-educated men, see something crazy in the sky, they leave everything they have, and they make this super long trek, which I'm sure is expensive. They find the place of the child, and they become full of joy. Why? We We don't just have to read this and just take it for, yep, oh, they were overjoyed, of course. Why? I mean, I think if we're just thinking rationally, like rational human beings, they know that there is a significance to the person of Jesus. And so their hearts are full. Their hearts are overwhelmed. Their hearts are full of joy because they're showing up to see God's Messiah. And that changes everything. Something, just hear this and put this in the back of your mind. They were overjoyed the sight of Jesus when Jesus had done nothing yet. That it had everything to do with who he was and not yet anything that he had done. So, and I love this too. It says they worshiped him. So let's keep reading. I think there was more. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So they find Jesus, they come up to Jesus, they bring, I I brought props, but I didn't want to use them today, but they brought gold. Like here's gold, this is real gold, it's valuable, it's it's worth a lot. So they they give him gold, which speaks to like his kingship and his royalty. They give him gold. And then they bring frankincense. Frankincense, um, if you've ever burned frankincense, it's very sweet smelling, it smells very good. And so they bring frankincense and to our culture, it's like, oh, that's a nice, it's like perfume, you know, 
awesome. It's just, it's smelly, you know, great. Uh, in that culture, frankincense speaks to deity. That there was a real realization of the Magi that this isn't just king, this is also God. And so they, they gave him gifts of frankincense, and then the last one was myrrh. And I just love the symbolism that is going on here in the story because myrrh was used for burial. Think about that. Gold, which speaks to royalty. Frankincense speaks to deity. Myrrh speaks to burial. There's a perfume that they would put on the body so that they wouldn't stink. They gave these to Jesus. They, it says they bowed down and they worshipped him. What's worship? What's worship? I think so many of us, maybe we come to church or we've been to church in the past or we've attended here and there and it's like, if I say, what is worship? You say, it's probably the singing part of a church service. Right? Where in the story do we see sing? All it says is they bowed down and worshiped him. I, worship is something deeper than just singing. Worship, I think, is a posture of the heart that is exhibited through outward expression. That when they come and it's a realization of who they are speaking to, who they are seeing, who they are approaching, their whole bodies, their whole selves responds in a way that speaks to what is most valuable and most important in their hearts. So what is worship? What's worship? As we think about it or talk about it today, it's not just singing, but it can be bowing, dancing, standing, clapping, lifting hands, speaking, singing, shouting. There's so many pieces of worship that I think oftentimes we narrow down, especially in a church, oftentimes we narrow down and we put in a box and we say worship is singing. Worship is music. And yet, as we read through scripture, everything I just read, bowing, dancing, standing, clapping, lifting hands, speaking, singing, shouting, every one of those has a piece of scripture that's attached to it that says, here's one way of worship, and here's another way of worship, and here's another way of worship, and here's another way of worship. What I see as I read this is it's your whole body screaming out, I just want to, I just have something to give. I just want to give. I want to respond. I want to, I want to, to exhibit what I'm feeling, to translate feelings and intangible to a tangible. That's what the Bible unpacks as worship. And so where does worship come from is the next question. If worship is an outward expression, what's the inward expression? What if I don't feel like worshiping? What if I don't feel happy, joyful, content? What if I don't feel good? What if life isn't good? Is there like an antithesis to worship? It's such a tricky, the concept and idea of worship is such a tricky one to describe because what I'm trying to get at is the heart and the things that are intangible that all of us feel and all of us experience and yet few of us can put words to. And yet as we read the story and we read, read the, the scripture here of the Magi, they travel, they come in, they see the person of Jesus who's in, he's a baby. And they're so moved from what is deep down in them that they respond and give gifts. 
is to worship. It's to sacrifice. Maybe, maybe it was the same. The posture of them towards Jesus made Matthew say they worshiped him. He was their number one priority. I know I'm asking a lot of questions today, but I think we as a community, I think we as a church, I think we as a society, and even particularly just we as Americans, I think we're actually in danger of something. Uh, I think what we're in danger of is believing we have a posture of worship towards God when in fact it's a posture of worship towards ourselves. I think this is a really important deal. Um, in our world today, uh, we have a lot of stuff that like um, this culture didn't have. A culture of um, today, I can have what I want right now. I don't have to wait. Uh, I have access to everything. This whole cloud and internet idea, media and entertainment, I want what feels good and I want it now. Um, speed at which we do things, access and ability to travel, ability to move. We have been given so much that if we're not careful, we can tailor every aspect of our lives around one person and it's us. And so when we spend Sunday to Saturday, week after week after week after week, uh, talk to two groups. If you're a Christian, week after week after week after week, you may actually be in danger of showing up on a Sunday morning and not worshiping God like you think you are, but worshiping yourself. That you've picked the church that you want because you like it for certain reasons. You've picked the speaker that you want because you like them for certain reasons. You've picked the group of people. You've picked where you live. You've picked the car you drive. You've, you've picked every aspect of your life that you say, good, I'm happy, I'm content. All of these things give me joy. God, thank you for giving me everything that I want. That's a really dangerous position to be in. I think the second group of people that I might talk to is if you don't have a relationship with God or if you, you don't want one and you're just here, you got dragged here or you're dating somebody and they made it a requirement or whatever it is, you're here and you're in the room. I think the danger that you might have is trying to discern what do you worship and why? What is most important to you and why? Here's a couple things. I think we worship as a society success. Especially just men in the room, just because I can relate. Is success ever the bottom line? Like you'll do whatever it takes, whatever the cost, to be successful in whatever way that you've decided that that is. If that's financially, if that's relationally, if that's in marriage, whatever that is. Is success an idol that's masqueraded itself as quality? or provision. I think many of us, if we're honest, worship success. A couple other things. What about money, materialism, security, sex, fame, status, followers, fans, Reputation. I mean, it's like, I can go on and on and on and on and on. What we worship is exhibited or it's evidenced by how we act. 
that what's most important in our heart, it's what we think about, it's what we spend on, it's what we consume ourselves with, it's what, it's what we devote ourselves to, it's what we sacrifice for, it's what gives us joy. So if, you, if you're like, I don't know what I worship, well, what gives you joy and energy and passion and security and makes you feel good and gives you pleasure? If you answer all of those questions, what I believe, you will actually get to one of the cores of what is most valuable to your heart because worship is an expression and an outflow of the heart. It's not a decision, it's an effect that what's really happening in your heart can be seen and experienced by others. It's so important. So is it possible in the church that we aren't always worshiping when we think we are? Jesus said this to a group of people that were listening to him. This is in Matthew 15, verse 8. He says this, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. I think he's talking about the Pharisees in this moment of just... They want to give praise to God and give glory to God, but the way that they've set up their lives is very religious. It's very structured. It's according to their purposes and their plans and their preferences so that when they come with their lips, they're worshiping. They say they're worshiping, but their hearts are so far from it. It's, a, it, it's worship in vain. It's a waste. That's, a, that's not worship that's considered acceptable to me. Worship that's acceptable to me starts here in the heart and then flows out. This is the whole, I mean, Matthew 2, the magi from the east that seek out Jesus, it, it displays not just the hearts and the posture of the magi, but it speaks to who the person of Jesus was. So I think there's two pieces of worship, just as I've studied it, that bubble up to the top and stick out to me. And so if you're writing something down, if you're a notes taker, awesome. Here's, here's your notes, okay? Number one, two pieces of worship. One is proclamation. And number two is expression. So proclamation is the first piece of what was just outlined here in Matthew 15. Proclamation is I'm going to proclaim with my mouth, with my lips, with my singing, or with my shouting. The words that I say are tied in or an outflow of what's going on in my heart. That when we worship, this is why we sing in church. You know that? If you ever ever wondered, it's kind of weird. What other environment do you get a group of people together and all sing the same song? And in what environment does it go well? Right? Have you ever had to sing songs as like a family gathering? Um, I'm married into a family that does that. It's my least favorite part. My least, I'm like, oh, this is so horrible. Horrible. Somebody add music, add a guitar, add a soundtrack, add a wow CD, add something. Just proclaim with your lips, say out loud, speak. But then there's this expression piece. And expression is so funny. I mean, so proclamation, we have it in church, right? We say we, we worship God, we read scripture, we're, we're so grateful, we're so joyful, we're excited to spend time with him. And then we add music to it. We like to sing. Singing is still using our mouths. But then there's this expression piece that, that there's more to it. It's like there, the speaking is just one part of it. The expression is my body just wants to respond. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a worship set where it's just like you just feel compelled, like I just want to raise my hands. 
Like, I just love it. And it, maybe it doesn't even have to be in a church setting. Right? Some of us in concerts are a little bit different than we are on Sunday morning. We love it. Right? There's something about Trans-Siberian Orchestra when they're shredding that you just go, ah! Right? I mean, you're just like, I can't help it. My body's just revolting. I just have no control anymore. It's just, there's that peace that like our bodies were created to respond in worship. Maybe you've been in a situation before Maybe a funeral, maybe in a hospital bed, maybe in desperation, where your body, you just crumble, where you just fall to your knees, that, that you don't have enough in you to stand, you just collapse. I remember my freshman year in college, um, I walked in with no real reference or heartbeat on who God is. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad's a pastor. And I remember the more that I would read in this book and the more I would study and the more I would learn, the more I would just, the realization of who God was, I, I, I couldn't stand in his presence. I got low. I was a really weird college student. I'd turn off the lights, I'd put headphones in, and I would bow down in my dorm, and I would just worship. And I would say with my lips, God, I just praise you, and this is who you are, and thank you for doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. But my body had to respond. That it was true worship started here in the heart and exhibited itself, not just through the words that I spoke, but in the response of my body. Same can be true of dancing, singing, hugging, shouting. I mean, it's like it goes on and on and on. I just picture the Magi when they showed up to the place of Jesus. Jesus is laying right there in the main. He's a baby. He's done nothing. He's done nothing. And they show up and they go, who I am in the presence of right now not only requires me to, to give praise and worship with my lips, but to bow down and to worship and to sacrifice and to give gifts and, and worship. It was the full experience. I think that's what Matthew, our author, is trying to get at. And more importantly, I think that's what Jesus asks of us. And he doesn't just say, come to a Sunday morning so that you can say a bunch of things about me and I'll just call it good and you guys can leave and we can leave. What Jesus wants is our hearts who are undivided, unhindered in worship of him because I believe we were made for it. But if you get down to our DNA, worship isn't this thing that we have to do or even like to do. I think if we get down to the core of who Jesus is and who God created us to be, he says, I created them to worship me. That's a significant shift in thinking. Because a created being like us with a choice to worship is, I think, often how a lot of Sunday mornings look. 
this is about me. This is how I feel. I'm feeling good about worship. I'm not feeling good about worship. I like that song. I don't like that song. I don't like singing. I don't like what people think of me. And so often we just create this circle that we go, I'm going to stay right in the middle of it because this is where I like. And if I don't hit every box and check every box that I like, I won't respond in worship. God says, wrong, not even worship, not even worship. That's all about you. But a being that was created from the very beginning, everything, every part that was designed to worship, the difference is what are we stopping or what are we hindering or quashing in our own lives that is owed to our creator? That if we were made to do something and if we don't do it the way that it was intended, we're getting in the way of that. That is so important. Worship is not about us. If there's anything I want you to hear today, it's that. That our worship, when we come to worship, worship doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning. It happens when you wake up early and you go for a jog. It it happens when you're reading your Bible. It happens when you're listening to music. It happens when you're in the car. You want to know one of my favorite times of worship between me and the Lord that I've just developed over the last couple years is Saturday nights I'll prep for today, right, for a sermon. I'll prep, I go to Frontline, I hang out in my office, I turn on music, I blare it, because there's nobody else there and they can't stop me. So it's like, boom, blaring. If it's not shaking the walls, it's not loud enough. And uh, I share a wall with Blake, which is the best, so I don't use the subwoofer quite as much when he's there. But I love it. I love it. I love blaring it, but that's not my favorite part of worship. Then I go into the worship center, and if it's just me, I blare the worship center. It's a big space. I crank it. And I just want the space just filled with this awe and this wonder and that thumping beat. And it's just, because my whole body just wants to go, yes. And I walk around, we have security cameras and none of you will ever have access to this. (laughs) Okay. Because it's awkward. It's awkward. And I know I lead our safety team and part of me wants to go, I'm going to block this segment of time because they're going to look and go, I bet he was drinking tonight. I bet that's what. Because I, you guys, it's just, I'm expressive. I pray different when I'm worshiping. I sing different. It's like I'm getting in touch with the most core part of my being and I'm in the presence of God. It's very different. But that's not even my favorite time of worship in the week. You want to know what my favorite time of worship is during the week? It's when I get in my truck after that moment and I just drive. It's always nighttime. I find fields. I find nature. I find any, I've, I've been known to park in a field before. I'd walk around in somebody's field that I don't know. I don't know who owns it. I just park my truck and turn my lights off when I see headlights. I'm just play dead. Nobody can see me. I get out and I, I just, I look at the stars and they're just shining bright and they're huge. And the more your eyes focus, the more you just see that it goes farther and farther and farther. And this happened two weeks ago. I, was, I parked my truck on the side of the road and I stuck my head out and I just like turned it upwards. And I just stared and I'm like, to anybody else, it looks like I was a victim of like a drive-by. Cause <laughs> so it's like my truck's still running, but the headlights are off and I'm just kind of like my neck's floppy. It's just an awe. It's just a wonder. I'm just looking at the creation that God made. 
And there's a realization when you look up and you can just see forever and forever and forever. You realize God's bigger than that. And then you see a shooting star and you just go, even creation gives glory to God. Been up in the mountains, out west, uh, Montana, Glacier National Park. There's something, when you're on like a summit and you look down and you just go, wow. It's just amazing. I mean, it, there's, just, there's a beauty to it that just, it's like God's going, even nature gives me worship. Something like music, when music plays and it's just, you add like a symphony or an orchestra or I preached last week at Frontline, I played Pirates of the Caribbean because it's like, oh, it's one of the best soundtracks ever. And you just hear it and you just go, oh, what is music? All these notes and chords and things that just interact and people have the ability to combine them like a chemistry experiment. And it's just like, and you just go, wow. And it's just your heart is moved to worship. Our bodies, more importantly, our hearts were created to worship God. Oftentimes, we're the number one thing that gets in the way of that. What a shame. I love it in my truck. Just driving late at night. I turn on worship music. And I blare it and I sing and I hit the brake. And then I do the hands thing. And then I keep driving and... And then I turn it down and I just bare my soul. I go, this is where I'm at. I love you. Thank you for what you've done for me. But there's this realization, uh, not just of what he had, had done for me. That sounds conditional. It's who he is, which doesn't change. That is the type of worship that God invites us to be a part of. And then here's, like, let me I'll just open up the curtain and show you what's behind it for a second. Um, guess what we're going to do for eternity? It's worship. We're going to worship forever. I remember when I was in high school, I was thinking, yikes, are we ever going to get a break? That's a long time. That sounds tiring unless we're made for it. That in the context of something pure and right in the way that it was always originally created to be, you're saying that we will spend eternity with God, seeing him face to face with all of creation, worshiping. It's what we were made for. And worship on this side of death is a taste of what we will do forever. That's good news. So let's keep going. Our hearts were created to worship. I love that uh, all over scripture, just as we read, it, it talks about different pieces of scripture and different people who worship in different ways. God is so creative. He wants to gift us uniquely with like a special relationship. All of you, I mean, you either have kids or you have parents or you have siblings or friends. Isn't it true that no one relationship is the same? That's how God is. He says, I relate to men very differently than I relate to women. 
And I relate to certain women very differently than I relate to other women. And I relate to certain men very differently than I relate to other men. And God is so interested in a personal relationship that I believe worship exhibits its own personal, it's kind of like the inside joke, the inside scoop. It's just a me and God thing. Only he gets it. That we're all created so uniquely. And yet the other thing that gives God glory is when all of our unique, special, individual relationships with him of worship, when we come together, it's like a symphony. It's just beautiful to him. He just loves it. I was thinking... Just even last night, I'm like, what's, I just want like an example just to show you like this, I just see worship everywhere. That's why I love this series. I mean, it just makes me go, wow, like it's just, God, you're just so cool. You're amazing. You're so big. And uh, a bunch of you saw my son, Shannon took him out a little bit ago for your benefit. So you're welcome. And uh, he was in here earlier and I do this thing with him. Uh, his name's Judah, if you don't know his name. Uh, his name's Judah. He's about math 13 months 14 months that's why i'm a pastor i'm not a mathematician and uh i do this thing at home where i just i'll beatbox which is like the weirdest thing you've ever heard a pastor say and i'm good at it that's probably the weirdest part i beatbox right like we'll be we'll be at like the the dinner table or i'll like get him up in the morning or something like that and and so we play but like i start beatboxing i start giving him like a little beat and his whole body is the funniest thing ever but i love it his whole body just responds like he just he can't help it but he's just moving he doesn't know it. he's not doing it it's just his body says i need to move because this is amazing and and what's happened is like we've we've had music so we'll put Spotify on or we'll turn the TV on and, and we'll be watching a movie and then there's like a great, like a good beat, not quite as good as his dad's, but like a good beat that starts rocking and he just, he responds, he just, he moves. And so I just, I wanted to treat you and give you a snippet of that. So check out this video. worship feels sometimes you're like oh that hurt at the end i didn't see that coming this is it's borderline twerking i understand that um if you don't know what that is i'm sorry um i love this is really funny is uh even this morning uh brendan and the worship band were up here and they were just rehearsing and getting ready for all of you and uh they were done they wrapped up and music started playing and my son was right here in the middle and he starts walking up and he he started the move i love watching my son worship i love it his name is judah judah's name literally means praise it's worship but when god created the world and he created people. He created us to worship him. And my heart for my son, that he would have a right view and a right understanding of who God is, it gives me so much pleasure and so much joy when I see him express it the way that God made him. Do you know that's true of our Heavenly Father? that I think so many of us, you know what, I, I, I dread this day. 
and I think parents, you'll relate to this, I dread the day that my son wants to hide pieces of who God has created him to be from me. Because he's ashamed of it. Because he doesn't like that about it. Because it looks weird or it's different or it's funny. I'm guessing a 17-year-old Judah isn't going to be twerking around me. Which maybe is not a bad thing. But when it comes to worship, I want him to give God his all. I don't want him to hold back. Because of shame. Because of insecurity. Because of fear. Because of judgment. Because... He was created to worship, and worship is an outflow, an expression of what's going on in his heart. And you know, God wants the exact same thing from you. He created you so specifically, so uniquely, and so intentionally that he could have a very personal and intimate type of relationship with you. Why would you rob that from him? I want to read this Psalm 19 1 to 4 it says this the heavens declare the glory of God Blake just read this the skies proclaim the work of his hands day after day they pour forth speech night after night they reveal knowledge they have no speech they use no words no sound is heard from them yet their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world how I want to end today is simply this. I want to invite you to do what you've always been created to do. Is that an easy invite? That whatever fear, whatever insecurity, whatever judgment, whatever you go, it's just, it's this quirky thing, but it's just me and God. Can I just encourage you? Worship doesn't just happen in this space, but it's Beautiful when it happens in this space. When I see my son dance, I can't help but think of King David, the best warrior in the Bible, who led people, who had confidence and boldness. I mean, he was just this strong, mighty warrior of God who had a soft spot for God, who would spend time singing and playing his harp out in the field would dance unashamedly and he would walk through the streets and he'd strip down wearing nothing but his underwear and just dancing and moving and singing and giving glory because he did not care what anybody thought it was a moment between him and God and I guarantee you it translated you men in the room I just want to talk to you for one second um, I love a lot of you I know a lot of you pretty well how your kids see you and how your wife sees you impacts how they see God. That's really important. And when you reserve and when you hold back, that has an effect. But when you worship and when you give and when you lead, it gives permission to those around you to do the same. So here's my encouragement. Would you just give it to him in this last song? Would you just worship him from your heart? Because the message that you send, now I'm talking to everybody, the message that you send to everybody around you is God 
is worthy of my worship. And that's why I'm here. So would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We're so grateful for you, for the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross through the person of Jesus. But God, let us not get consumed with what you've done for us because you've done so much. You've blessed us so much beyond measure, so much more even than so many people around the world. God, you've just given and given and given and given and given. And God, so many of us right now in this next moment need to take a second and finally give something back. Maybe some of us, that's just through tithes and offering. That's, it's giving of something that we've put our stock in that we need to give back to you and say, no, 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 my, my worship isn't for me and my security and my control, it's for you. We need to give that to you. For, for others, it's, God, I just love to dance or I love to sing, I love to play, I love to express myself and I, I hide that because I'm ashamed of that. God, some of us just need to give that to you this next time, just right here in this song. God, some of us need to declare with our mouths, with our lips, this is, you are just God and you've saved me and you've redeemed me and I just love you and I'm grateful. God, I pray that this next song, people will do that, even if it's quietly to you. God, I pray that we respond by just raising our hands, by singing, by worshiping, by dancing, by bowing, by praying, whatever it is, Father, you are so worthy of all of our worship. And I just pray right now that we as a church and your body would come before you and give you what is due. We love you for who you are. So we praise you. We worship you. Like the innocence of a child, we give to you only what we have, and that is ourselves. We love you and pray that you will meet us in this space right now. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name.